So Money episode 1151, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. It is a new dawn. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Inauguration week, we have a new president, Joe Biden, and Vice President Kamala Harris. And already some good announcements on the financial front. President Joe Biden has signed an executive order that will allow federal student loan borrowers to pause their payments. Initially, it was a three-month pause, and now the extension will go for eight months through September 30th of this year. So that's really great news and hopefully a sign of the positive changes that are coming. What were you doing on Inauguration Day? I'll tell you, I was multitasking Unhappily, I was taking care of uh, the kids and trying to watch the inauguration, frustrated that our son's school was happening during the swearing in and the whole thing. And I, you know, thought, wouldn't they want to take a break and let the students and families share in this momentous occasion? So I had one eye to the TV and one eye to his math class on Zoom. A lot of the inauguration I caught afterwards, uh, listening to Amanda Gorman's poem was the highlight for me. Um, In addition to, of course, seeing the first female, first female Indian American, first black woman uh, to be sworn in as vice president um, was definitely a moment. But I have to say, Amanda Gorman's inaugural poem was... Oh, it's everything that I want the world to be. I want the world to be full of women like her, young women like her, right, who dream big. I think she wants to be president. This is just the beginning for this young woman. And the poem itself was full of directives and hope. And it had a plan in there. You know, if you listen to it, if you go back and read the transcript, like there's some really good steps in there that we can all take to live the life today that we want. And I just um, thought it was brilliant that they even invited uh, a poet to come and speak. It doesn't happen at every inauguration. I've discovered this recently. I thought it was like every inauguration, they would obviously have a poetry portion of the ceremony. No, there's only been like six in presidential history. So this was historic. I want to draw attention to two articles I wrote this month kicking off the new year with a lot of opinions on personal finance. The first is my experience using the Robinhood app. Can you even believe that I used the Robinhood app? But I did. And it's a bit of a funny story. Um, I've sort of talked about it on this show. I've alluded to it. But this article really takes you through my journey of buying stock on Robinhood app and it's it starts off really more about like what brought me to even buy a stock because you know I'm all about the mutual funds the the low fee index funds things of that nature so that fact that Farnoosh even picked a stock and bought it is unprecedented and then I did it on Robinhood which was its own learning experience and I talk all about what you need to know 
if and when you choose to use Robinhood. So check out that article on nextadvisor.com. Next Advisor, where I'm a contributing editor. It's a powered by Time Magazine. I will include that link also on the So Many Podcast website for this episode show notes. The second thing I want to point out is I wrote an article for Bloomberg, an opinion piece on why I think it's smart time to sell your house. I got a lot of hate comments on this one. People saying, oh, what does she know? I hate these comments. You know, they're not even about the substance, but more about me, like this young female. It's like, I'm not even that young, but thank you for pointing that out. And by the way, the fact that I am a female makes me more of an expert because the highest, the biggest group of buyers in this country, home buyers, are women. Okay. So that said, if you're interested in maybe selling your home this year, you might want to check out my Bloomberg article. It brings up some of the things I've already talked about on this podcast, which is why selling can work for a lot of individuals who are looking for, specifically looking for optionality in their life. I speak from experience. Selling our Brooklyn apartment was, for a while, heartbreaking. I didn't want to do it. I felt like I was selling out. I felt like I was giving up on my hopes and dreams of you know, building this life in Brooklyn, having a brownstone, sending my kids to school in Brooklyn. And there's a lot to benefit from living in Brooklyn. And then push came to shove and I started to really do the math, but also think about where I wanted to be in the next five, 10 years and what I wanted for my kids, really wanted for them. And Brooklyn just wasn't that place anymore. And so selling was hard, but it bought us optionality. It bought us the ability to do multiple things now that we were not able to do before because a lot of our net worth was tied up in this home's equity, in this apartment's equity. We sold, we cashed out, we used some of that proceed for buying our next home. And then the rest we banked in uh the bank, you know, as our security nest egg and uh, slowly putting, reinvesting that in the stock market, some of it, using some of it to renovate. So lots of stuff that we were able to do. Check that article out on Bloomberg. And if you don't want to go to Bloomberg, go to my website and the link is there for you. Let's go pick our reviewer of the week on iTunes. This person gets a free 15 minute money session. And this week we're going to say thank you to Angel OHTX who wrote a review on January 13th and said, Farnoosh knows, exclamation point. Almost two years ago, our friend says, I began listening to So Money after yearning for financial advice from someone who truly knew what they were talking about. I stumbled upon So Money while searching for a financial podcast, pushed play, and began running while pushing my eight-month-old in his stroller. Before I knew it, I had run five miles and put a dent in the episodes of So Money. I can imagine this. Can you? Like this mom with her eight-month-old pushing her, running in with the stroller. I was that mom once upon a time. Our listener says, since then, I've learned a tremendous amount of knowledge regarding money, finances that has guided me and making me that has guided me in making smarter decisions when managing my own money. I've even surprised my husband and friends with the knowledge I've been able to provide them with, all because of Farnoosh and the many resources that she has provided. It truly has made all of the difference in gaining more control on my money and how I'm setting myself up for financial empowerment and success. I also really appreciate that the many guests Farnoosh chooses to feature on her podcast are of diverse backgrounds, ethnicities, and beliefs. She really locked me in for life when she incorporated the Black Lives Matter series. So thank you, Farnoosh, for all that you're doing for this community. 
Angel OHTX. I want to talk to you so bad. Please email me, Farnoosh at somemoneypodcast.com and let me know that you left this review. Or you can direct message me on social media, on Instagram specifically. Let me know that you left the review and I will follow back immediately with a link where you can choose a time for us to chat. Oh my gosh. And your your eight-month-old now is probably three, I'm guessing. (laughs) Time flies. So, so wonderful to hear from you. We have a special co-host today. Very excited. I I love to do this whenever I can. And and I extend this invitation to everybody listening. If there is someone out there listening who would like to co-host with me, not meant to intimidate you, but if you feel like you're just a fan of the show or you feel like maybe you've experienced something that's very so money in your life recently or in your past, would love to showcase you and just have you share the mic with me and travel through these questions uh, with me. And uh, as I as I like to say, one of the things that this podcast has taught me now six years running is that we are all experts. Yeah, some of us have certifications, some of us have PhDs, some of us have authored books. I get that there are different levels of expertise, but do you not spend, do you not save, do you not invest your money? Have you not gone out of a lot of debt at some point? If you answered yes to just one of those questions, guess what? You have experience you have some knowledge and it's worth sharing. We are all wealths of knowledge. And I think that's really exciting. And if you're in the audience willing to share those stories, I would love to amplify them. So get in touch, same way, Farnoosh at somemoneypodcast.com or on Instagram. And joining me now to co-host, very exciting to bring on the stage, a fellow listener who was so generous and kind and thoughtful, reached out to me initially, I think on Instagram, sent me a really great email. Um, And I'm, I'm really excited to say that this guest... We're going to learn a lot from Philip Barker. He's not just a listener, but he's a so money. He's a so money guy. Philip, welcome to the show. Thanks, Farnoosh. Thanks for having me. I know that uh, you had said in our communication, like, if I don't get to co-host with you, I, I have a question. And so I would love to help you with the question if it's still relevant. You were saying that you're considering buying a lake house that mm-hmm. you would use personally and as a rental and wondering if you should do it. So... Um, it's been a minute since that email crossed my inbox. Did you do it? Are you still wondering if you should do it? I am still uh, still wondering if I should do it. I, I uh, you know, I'm keeping an eye, like a lot of people are in real estate, on inventory in the area that I'm looking, uh, which is a, a Southwest Michigan, and uh, you know, haven't seen you know the perfect kind of place that I that I want to invest in yet. But um, yes, it is. That question is still on the table. Ah, uh, yeah, I can totally. Um empathize with that. We were just, we were this past weekend, Martin Luther King weekend, we, for the first time in, since COVID, we took a little bit of a sojourn. We went to a lake house up in the Hudson River Valley, which was like an hour and a half from our home, completely secluded, safe, but beautiful Airbnb. Every time I go to an Airbnb, I start to have FOMO where I'm like, I should have an Airbnb. You know, I should, for the amount that I paid for these two nights, it would have paid the entire month's mortgage probably. Right. Um, But of course, I don't think about all the work that goes into first getting your place set up to earn that, you know, nice premium uh, per night stay and then the maintenance. And I was also like, okay, this is too much information, but my son, you know, he's six and he's watching TV. We're sitting in the, we're sitting in the lake house. He's like watching TV, eating, putting his dirty 
and <laughs> on the couch. We we kept it very nice. I'm a very good, I'm very good guest. But you know, when you have a kid, it's like my daughter was, you know, they had board games, which was nice, but she was like losing all the pieces. She would like there we found a piece of domino in our car. We had to go back. <laughs> like, I look back at the house. So I'm like, okay, I can't be an owner. I can't rent out a home because I'm going to have all this anxiety about like what I actually know goes on. But I guess that's also why you charge the, what you charge. Sure. Anyway, you're so money. You have been listening to the show for a while. Tell us about yourself and some of the financial milestones that you hit in recent years. Yeah, thanks. Well, I am. Um, I'm actually a social worker, you know, kind of by trade. And I actually, because of your show, ended up getting a designation in financial social work because I heard one of your guests who who kind of like you know ran this organization and did all of that. And uh, so now I get to kind of bridge together my cool. passions for personal finance with helping people. So I love it. I, I would say that out of all the different kind of modalities of my practice, talking about personal finance is my absolute favorite. It's like a, it's like a high every time I get to like, you know, walk someone through, you know, their journey and support them. So, um, it's, it's a personal passion of mine. And mm. then to be able to, to share that with others is pretty, pretty incredible. It's such important work. What do you find yourself often talking about these days emotionally when it comes mm. to money? Are people feeling mostly anxious? Are they afraid? Are they hopeful? Are they confused? Like, what are you seeing, um, pop up over and over? Yeah, good question. You know, I think everyone obviously is on their own financial journey and people are in different places. I, I'd say initially, a lot of it was just about like the fear of the unknown, right? Like last March, when we all went into lockdown, people were very concerned about how long they were going to have their jobs, um, you know, what was going on in the stock market um, for any investments they did have, um, you know, how much they needed to kind of almost hoard and hold on to because we didn't know how long this was going to take uh, to kind of come out of. Um, but then you you have a little bit more of your like you know your savvier clients who understand that you know last March the market was you know on an incredible sale and so you know if people are at the point where they actually have that kind of extra money to spare they were going in and kind of welcoming some of that turmoil in the market so uh, it's kind of all over the board but I'd say you know by and large people you know had a lot of anxiety just around you know job permanence and what to do with the money that they did, uh, you know, that they did have. Why do you love talking about money so much? What, who is Philip? Where did you come from? (laughs) (laughs) I gotta say, honestly, like it is because I was one of these clients at one point, Mm -hmm. you know, like it wasn't that long ago in my adult life when, um, you know, I didn't really understand how to make, you know, kind of personal finance decisions for myself without, so I kind of like just coming from a place of fear. I wasn't acting on anything because I didn't know what to do. So through my own journey of listening to your show for one and following some other um, some other personal finance finance gurus, I'll say um, that I respect a lot, um, have you know started to just kind of build up my psychoeducation on the topic, and then started to explore how really non scary it is. Um, but you know, I think sometimes just our our, our money lessons from childhood follow us and some of that stuff goes really deep. So I just kind of had a big fear around it. And mm-hmm. once I, um, you know, kind of once I turned the light on on it and started discovering it, it not only was it really fun and interesting for me, but incredibly liberating. You know, I, I think money is so freeing. It's, it's freedom to me. It's power. Um, and so I, I really have enjoyed kind of reclaiming some of that that I, that I didn't have for so long. So I love to be able to help other people discover those same things. 
And look at you now. You've got so much financial optionality, right? You've got the career you love. You've got money in the bank. You've got investments. You're thinking about a second home or a vacation home. And even maybe retiring early. Yeah, yeah. I I actually started thinking about that. Like, okay, like I, I think I have maybe 15 more years and then I can, you know, kind of just, I always want to work and do, do this work, but, um, you know, perhaps on a part-time basis. So it's it's kind of interesting on the horizon to think that, um, you know, we don't necessarily always have to um, go down that road of retire at 65 or 70, right? That we can do it oh, a little earlier than we anticipated, right? <laughs> I think you're probably Hopefully. the same <laughs> And I see you yeah. sent me a picture of your of you at Stack's house in Los Angeles. One yes. of the, oh my gosh, those were the days. Uh, thank yeah, you right. for coming to that. That was yeah. a special, a special thing. Well, that Philip, was. are you ready to help some of my listeners? And yes, some of I your am. fellow So Money fans. Okay, so I think you're going to be so great to pr- provide some perspective because much like a lot of my listeners, these these gals and guys are ambitious. They have goals, and I think like you, when you know, the, once you once upon a time, you know, they're mostly working through the, a lot of like sort of the emotional implications of their decisions. Here we go. Our friend Brittany in the audience says, "Hey Farnoosh, I'm a huge fan of the podcast. I feel like I've been learning so much, and I have a question for you. I'm 26. I work full time as a nurse. I own my own house." Let me just take a break from this for a minute. Did you mm-hmm. know that the <laughs> the biggest group of homeowners? In this country, fastest growing, biggest group is millennials. But within that is women. So Brittany, you are awesome. right on target. I, I love sharing love that statistic. She invests in the stock market. She actually started last year and she says, I've, I've done really well. She says, I'm not a financial expert by any means, but I find it also interesting. My parents, meantime, have begun asking me about all of this because you know I mentioned I had some success with investing and they told me they pulled out of the stock market in 2008, 2009, and they haven't trusted the quote unquote banks since. And they don't have as much safe for retirement. They've paid off their mortgage, their debts, and I believe they need to really save for their future. How should I approach them about this? What are some resources for sensitive financial conversations child to parent. So um, I really want to get into the the emotions of this. And by the way, sure. how many, raise your hand if you were in the 2008-2009 market crash, if you had a 401k and got spooked. And so many people, Philip, you know, they did pull out of the market, just like her parents. We, we didn't have maybe the, the recent education, the recent history to realize like, that's bad. <laughs> and, right. and people did that again, you know, this time. First, I just want to offer some good resources before I forget, Brittany. There's two books I want to recommend for you. And there's actually two podcast episodes that pair with these books. So I interviewed recently Erin Lowry, who is the founder of Broke Millennial. And her most recent book, her third, is called Broke Millennial. It's called Broke Millennial Talks Money. And it's it's organized with all of these different chapters on how to have tough conversations with important people in your life. So if it's, you know, your partner, your best friend, your parents, and she was on the podcast in January, her book came out in January of this year. Um, So we talked a lot about family and parents. And I even shared a little bit of my own personal experience with my parents and their retirement plan. So listen to that episode, check out her book, and then 
Another woman I want to highlight, another author is Cameron Huddleston. She is the author of Mom and Dad, We've Got to Talk. And it's all about the relationship that adult children have with their parents as it pertains to having these tough financial conversations. Because like what Erin was telling me, and I think Cameron echoed this too, is it's so hard, right? You know, mm-hmm. Philip, it's like we're adults, we're all adults in the room, but to your parents, you're still their kid. And if you grew up in a household where you didn't really talk about money, it doesn't make it easier, not just because you're older, to talk about money. Mm-hmm. So it is hard. But I think what I'm sensing from her question and from her description of what's going on is that her parents are really proud of her and they're intrigued. And yeah. I think this is a really great icebreaker to talk about the importance of long-term investing. And if her parents are, let's say, in their 50s, they got time. You know, they they yeah, are they still eligible to invest in the market and be relatively aggressive. Do they put all their money in the market? No, but they could be, you know, 50% in the market, 50% in cash as far as, you know, their portfolio goes. And I think that that's still healthy given that, you know, they've got another 10, 15, maybe even 20 years before they retire. What do you think? Sure. Well, and and on that note, I also think it's really important to acknowledge that they, because of their ages, like are going to be eligible for catch up contributions if they can afford that. So they can actually kind of fast track in ways that maybe some of us who are, you know, younger than 50 um, are able to do right now. Um, But, you know, I think the first thing to kind of do is uh, you alluded to this, Farnoosh, is, you know, they brought up this conversation with her and they've been commenting about her, um, her stellar job, which, you know, I echo. Um, so because they did, you know, I think um, acknowledge them for even just kind of bringing up this potentially awkward conversation, you know, really affirm them for kind of like taking the act of bravery to to, to have this conversation. Because I think, um, you know, a parent's role often is to instill a lot of guidance and wisdom in their kids. And so when it's coming the other direction, it can feel a little awkward, I would imagine, for a parent. So um, I say, so first, I think commend them for just even, you know, bringing this conversation up. And then, you know, as you navigate that conversation, I think I like, you know, you've talked before on your show, Farnoosh, about kind of having a, a financial date, you know, mm-hmm. with your husband before you got married. And I think maybe something like that with your parents, you know, like really ask them, like, what, how would you like to have this conversation? You know, like, what would make you most comfortable? Where, when, and kind of um, have an agreed upon um, some kind of agreed upon norms for the for the setting, and um, you know, just kind of like start chipping away, and maybe you want to show them a little bit about your, um, you know, Brittany, your gains, right, and kind of what you've seen, and you know, and assuming you've been in the market, um, you know, with this past March dip, um, you can kind of show them about how markets do rebound. And you can kind of let them know like, hey, just in less than a year, look what's happened to my portfolio after that dip. Um, I would just caveat a lot of this with the fact that Brittany may have done really well in her portfolio in the last year, but it wasn't probably because you like had any foresight into how the market was going to perform, right? Mm-hmm. It's a lot of luck. But what sure. we could, well, what we can say with certainty is that over time, sticking with the market is better than abandoning it. And that... Yeah. I would imagine Brittany would still want to be considered an investor, even if the last year was really terrible, if the market didn't right. perform as, as it did. Like, I think that there's a lot of um, confidence in investing right now. And I see it a lot on social media and a lot of 
these this, this new crop of investing experts <laughs> that are mm. like, look at my portfolio. I've made all this money. It's like, yeah, we've all made a lot of money in our portfolios <laughs> in the last mm-hmm. 10 years. It's not an indication of the fact that mess made, like that you're a good stock picker. It just, you know, it's just right. the trend that has been that way. Um, so it's, you got to be careful. And, and I think what's important to have to say to your parents is like, I got lucky, but I think what I can give to my own credit is that I got in and I stuck with it and I plan to continue to stick with it. And I would really go back in time, Brittany, and show them, I'm sure they've done it. And if they haven't, it's really a a sobering thing. Show them what they missed out on. Because people who left the market in 2008, 2009, they... Maybe they cut their losses at the t- at the at that you know that year, but they miss out on eleven years of a bull market and so much wealth that was created in those in that decade plus. And I think that it wasn't too long ago. History tends to repeat. Now, will that happen again for ten more years? I don't know, but I can say with more confidence that over the next twenty years, you'll do at the end of that you know, span of time, you'll be happy that you invested your money, you know? And I think it's also a factor of your age. Like clearly if you're approaching retirement, um, you, like I said earlier, you don't want to be all in on the market. Like it's, you gotta, you gotta allocate it appropriately and how you do it since they were in the market, a lot has changed. A lot of it has become automated, taken a lot of the, um, the guesswork out of it. You go onto one of these automated platforms, which whatever flavor you like, whether that's like an Elevest or a Betterment or a Wealthfront, I don't care where you go. It's all, they're all pretty much the same. It's just like, what kind of UX do you like? And check the fees because some of them are a little, you know, smidge different, but generally lower than working with a professional advisor. And you, you know, you answer a series of questions. How old are you? What are your retirement goals? What's your risk tolerance? And then boom, you've got this beautiful portfolio that's been risk adjusted and you just you just contribute to that. And a lot of it is yeah. low fee funds. So I think the good news for her parents is that the the process to invest has become simpler. And you know, if you believe in historical returns repeating at some point or that historical returns can be used as a benchmark, you know, uh, that's that should build confidence in them. And it could be fun for all three of them to do a little bit of a like have a little scorecard going, not to make this, you know, a game, but mm-hmm. if they're going to have these meetings, like maybe they should um, come to each meeting with like an index fund that they researched or an ETF that they researched, sure. or the next meeting is about where are we going to, which platform are we going to open, use to, to, to open up mom and dad's IRA. And, and that, yeah. can, you know, it's a very healthy conversation and all good. I like that. So I like that. So Brittany, thank you so much. I think um, it's so ni- they're so lucky to have you as a daughter. Can I say that too? That, yeah, know, right. Like, she's a great, a great daughter. I hope that my kids um, will become so caring and thoughtful, and and you know, mm-hmm. we'll we'll send in a podcast question on my behalf. <laughs> Phoebe, our friend Phoebe wants to know. Here's her situation. I'm 27 with no debt, a stable job, and 40,000 in savings, half of which is in retirement funds. I currently make $65,000 a year, and I've been ramping up my side business from $700 a month to six thousand a month 
Oh my gosh. Wow. My return, what is the side hustle? My return yeah. on my hours is much higher in my side business. I charge 80 to to $100 per hour doing social media strategy and graphic design. And my salary comes out to about 30 an hour. I want to quit and I want to take my side business full steam ahead, but I'm scared of the lack of security, unknowns, and what it will look like on my resume to not have a corporate job. Do you have any advice? Okay, this is classic, right? She's Mm -hmm. done really amazingly well building up this side hustle. She's kept the full-time job. I want to ask some questions. I'm going to answer this with another question first, which is why do you want to quit your day job? Is it simply because the math no longer makes sense or are you at sort of an inflection point emotionally, mentally, where you're like, I can't be in two places at once because this business on the side here is like growing really fast. And um, this is sort of my moment. Like, do you really feel like this is your moment? You kind of know, right? There's sort of, and I've been there where I worked a nine to five and I had like a lot of these side gigs where I was writing and doing TV. And I had this sort of desk, news desk job, which by the way, gave me health insurance, access to a 401k, a supply closet full of like markers and pens and like the little things that really add up, right? A fax machine, um, which obviously now is irrelevant. But back then I was really like, like Phoebe, like I am taking a huge risk. I'm stupid if I quit my job because who quits a really well-paying, you know, job that's giving you benefits. Ultimately, I got laid off and then the decision was made for me, which made it a lot easier to decide. But I think what's what's making this hard is maybe focusing on the things that you're going to be giving up versus what you're going to gain. And mm-hmm. I think that's really the cost benefit analysis. Is your nine to five taking away from your ability to really take this business like two exit, three exit? You might be close to the departure. I'm not saying you not you, you know you're not there yet. Maybe it's like in six months. There's something to be said about holding on to that day job, like milking it for all that that it's worth. Like, is there something that's keeping you there? You want to maybe max out your 401k before you leave. Here's the other thing, Phoebe. Can your company turn into a client? Is the company you're working for could yeah. they become a client? Um, where maybe they have a social media strategy department. Could you then? leave, but still kind of still work for them as in a different role where you're now a consultant or a contractor. And so you haven't completely abandoned that business. There's nothing wrong with not having a full-time job on your resume. You know, like that, that narrative is celebrated. Like, oh, you started a business? Fantastic. Mm -hmm. No one's going to hold that against you. So I don't know. I, I feel like she's close to possibly, I mean, $6,000 a month is not a little bit of money. It's a great sign that she, and I would say if you can, here's a, here's a good metric, $6,000 a month. How long have you been able to sustain that? I think once you get to a point where the business has maybe earned your salary by two X after a period of time, like $6,000 a month for the next six months on average or a year on average, then I think you really see that trend I think that is mm-hmm. a real uh, indicator that this business has a lot of legs and can is worth quitting your day job over. And you can then pay for all the things yeah. on your own, like healthcare and 
right. markers. Right. And, and, and right off of a, a lot yeah. of that, uh, of that stuff if you're working from a, you know, from a home office. Um, but yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I would ask yourself the like viability of the market of what you do going forward. Right. Like, so to your point, you know, how long have you been doing this and how long can you foresee yourself doing this at this rate, at that earning, you know, at that earning rate? Um, so, so yeah. And, and to your point about the, the resume, um, that, that gap, like, I agree. I think people look at like ambition and entrepreneurial like spirit as, um, I think they're, it's part of an incredible narrative, I think. And, and so I would not worry about that one bit. I think that's easily explained away in an interview or in a cover letter. Um, but also I think it's really, um, I don't know. I, th- I think it's pretty, pretty cool. And I think people really respect that, um, that spirit. Um, plus she's 27, you know, like there, yeah. there's a lot of time to get back into kind of quote unquote corporate America. If that's where she decides that, um, you know, she wants to end up or, or if the, uh, you know, working for herself, um, isn't as kind of fruitful or as glamorous as she may envision it to be. Um, so I, I think this is the time to take the chance. Yeah. Again, I don't know how long she has been doing this and how much of a trend she's seen mm-hmm. in that sort of income stream. I'd like to see at least several months of that or a year of sure. that to really give you evidence of like, okay, this is like, this is, this is it. Like I've, <laughs> I've, I, I've reached a point where um, this can stand on its own and truly no better time to start a business than a recession. Right. You know, uh, and, and I think being in the social media business strategy online, if it's an online related business, which clearly this is, you're, you're also on the money there. So Phoebe, you have our blessing to do this. I would just say, have it planned out. Like don't walk into your office, your boss's office tomorrow or Zoom him, her tomorrow and be like, peace out. Mm-hmm. But really understand, first of all, if you trust your boss or your manager, can you have an honest conversation with him or her about how to maybe parlay over to becoming more of a consultant for them? Or I don't know if this is what you do at your current company, if you're doing social media strategy and all that already for your company. But if you haven't even discussed this with them, they don't even know you have a side hustle. Um, maybe it's not a bad idea to get them in on knowing that you're doing this because it sounds like you're already accepting the fact that this is going to be your future. And if there's going to be any backlash, I don't know. But if there's an, if you don't sense any harm in telling your superiors about this or your colleagues about this, that could be healthy too, is sort of get their feedback. And maybe they inspire some ideas, you know, well, hey, you don't have to quit, but we'd love to have you go part-time, mm-hmm. you know, and, and work on this. And then, you know, um, or we're looking for a temp in this other department. So, you know, don't worry about the health insurance. Don't worry about all that other stuff. You can get it. We have you know, we have access to health insurance in this country. You just, and you also can, you know, get a lot of tax deductions, incorporate yourself and keep me posted. I'm really excited for you, but that's great. $6,000 a month. Clearly you're very talented. Okay. Next is Liz and she's 23 and she's making about $75,000 a year. And she lives at home with her parents all for free. She's got zero debt. My only expenses are extremely small bills and any car maintenance. I contribute 20% to my 401k and I just opened up a Roth IRA, which I contribute the max. My father helps me understand finances, but listening to your podcast has given me validation and new perspective. I'm currently saving as much as possible and I have about 30,000 in cash. 
Within the next few years, two preferably, I would like to move out, but I'm not sure the pros versus cons with renting or buying. I think I need to pair her up with uh, with Brittany, our first question <laughs> asker, who, who's the homeowner in her 20s. Um, you'd be in good company if you became a homeowner, mm-hmm. Liz. So anyway, um, her question is, you know, should I save to buy? Is that the more obvious choice? I'm going to be working from home. I'm going to be single. I don't really have, you know, plans on, I don't, she's like, I don't really have a lot going on. You do, you do. You're good. You have a full life, Liz. You don't need to be in a partnership to, to feel full. Also, if this is my goal, how can I be maximizing my money and chances of becoming a property owner? If I want to become, you know, if I want to buy in the next couple of years, should I put this money in the stock market? What should I do? So let's dissect this, Philip. Like, um, by the way, do you own? I do. Yes. Currently? Yes. You do. Okay. So this is really a question about how do I prepare for home ownership in the next couple in next couple of years? She's in a great privileged place where she gets to benefit from paying no housing mm-hmm. right now. Um, I always tell people, especially in, you know, people who are graduating from college or in their early 20s, it's definitely not cool to live with your parents. For in most cases, um, you know, it's not like we don't love our parents and it's not nice, but you know, you want your independence um, sooner than later, I would suspect. And, and living with your parents, I mean, my brother, for example, he's 30, he goes home for two weeks. He's like, enough already. Like my parents want to, they want to know where I'm going. They're like, I, I got to tell them when I'm coming home from a party. It's like, I'm 15 mm-hmm. again. Um, so, but I think that there's nothing financially more advantageous than not having a housing payment for the first few years of your life, of your adult life, right? To not have to pay rent, especially in a big city while working is such a leg up um, to be able to, whether that's paying down your debt more aggressively, or in this case, saving $30,000. If my kids want to live with me when they're 23, I'm all for it. Because if it means that we're going to be able to save what they would have paid towards rent, then it's uh, a great idea. It's a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. I don't think you should put this money in the stock market, even though the plans to buy are not immediate. If your plans are to buy within the next zero to five or seven years, just keep it liquid. You know, because I, I whether you are planning to use this money for a home or a car or a business, any money that you need, it's my big rule of thumb, any money that you absolutely need for the next five years, maybe even six or seven, don't risk it in the stock market. Mm-hmm. You know, Don't think that, okay, well, we've had such a great couple of years or f- 10 years that that's going to repeat. No, it doesn't always. And, and there might be out of the five years, there might be four great years, but that last year is going to suck. And then you're going to really regret yeah. having your money still in the market. So keep it liquid, put it in a bank account. I know it's earnings zero and it's probably going to be a little bit less with inflation when you're ready to pull it out. But I think you'll sleep better at night knowing that you can have access to that and you're not like really, really losing uh, the value of that mm-hmm. money. And and then the other thing I'd work on, and maybe you would, um, you were going to say this, Philip, is her credit score. Have she even, has she even checked? Because that's so important when you're buying a house. I'm definitely team homeownership, you know, like just, you know, for my, for myself. And I think, you know, having purchased my, you know, first place, I don't know if I know she, you bought in Manhattan quite, quite young. Um, you know, the equity when you are able to, or, you know, kind of trade up, if you will, um, you know, it's pretty incredible how that builds. So I definitely come from a place of, uh, of homeownership. But 
uh, like you said, I would not um, put anything in the stock market that you need, you know, within the next five years. So perhaps you'd want to consider like a CD ladder, even, you know, go to compare some rates and just um, put your money and kind of lock it away in a, as good of an interest rate as you can find right now, which, you know, they're not great, um, but they are better than the um, volatility that you might experience in the market in the next five years. So there's CD ladders, which you can Google and you can learn about that. But what was the website you mentioned, Philip? Well, I like, I personally like NerdWallet Nerd mm-hmm. to compare, um, to compare rates. So yeah, I would, uh, I would go there and just see who's offering high interest savings accounts or CDs. Yeah. And I actually did an article. I mentioned it on the podcast recently and you can Google it. It's, I wrote an article for Bloomberg on where to park cash that you don't need for like the next three to five years that, mm-hmm. um, People always ask like, okay, so there's got to be something better than a 0% interest bearing bank account. And I'm like, well, you know, it's kind of, it's not, it's not a, the options are kind of slim pickings between that and investing. There's CDs, obviously, but the rates have been so low. It's almost like, you know, the trade off to that is you got to, you got to keep your money there. You can't, it's not liquid like it is a, you know, bank account. So check out the article. There were a couple of other ideas in there, including things like, you know, there's some banks that are lesser known, but FDIC insured that are looking for new customers. And so as bait, they will give you some sort of sign on bonus. So you put like a, you park a few thousand dollars with them, they'll give you a few hundred bucks right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the interest rate's still zero, but at least it immediately feels a little bit like, oh my gosh, I got a 10% interest rate. Um, sure. So there, those things do exist. You have to research them. But basically, bottom line, Liz, we're pro, we're pro real estate here. Um, mm-hmm. Fantastic that you've been able to save so much money. Imagine how much more you're going to have. You're going to have more than double that over the next three or four years. Um and then also spend time building your credit. Check your credit score. Check, get, pull, up, pull out your credit report. You can do that at annualcreditreport.com. You can check your credit score probably wherever you bank um, online. And if you if to get the best interest rates right now, you want to have a score that's in the 700s or higher. So that's all good homework between now and the home purchase. And then obviously, you know, start looking, get educated in the markets that you're interested in um, to understand what things cost and where you can find value. Yeah. And I mean, 23 years old and $75,000, like, I mean, I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm a dinosaur, a but that seems like, yeah, that seems really, uh, you know, it is. And, and plus, like you said, you know, with she's able to invest a lot more in the next couple of years, maxing out the Roth and then the 401k. Um, she's that 30 grand is going to grow quickly. And especially if it's um, getting a little bit of interest on top of it. So very excited for her. It's she's so money. Okay. Kristen, Last question. Farnoosh, just started listening to your show and I am loving it. Growing up in a family below the poverty line, I have almost no financial literacy and I'm trying to catch up now that I'm in my 30s. I recently came into an inheritance from an older relative who passed away. So far, I've used it to pay down all my credit card and private student loan debt. She also has some federal student loans, but they're eligible for PSLF. And we know that with uh, the... Uh, I can say President Biden now. Um, Mm -hmm. He and Kamala have proposed to continue the the deferment of student loan payments uh, federal. So that's good news for anyone who's got federal uh, loans. Mm -hmm. She says that I have 54,000 sitting in savings for over a year. And I'm watching those interest rates go down. I probably won't be in a personal position to buy property for another couple of years at least. Is it a terrible idea to take, let's say, 40000 of this 
So like 90% of it and invested in index funds like an S&P 500. I'd like to avoid tying any of it up in my retirement accounts since I probably will use it as a down payment in less than five years. All right. So if you were listening to me (laughs) talk to Liz, you know what I'm going to tell you, Kristen, a similar question. Um, Five years, I think, you know, that's that's pushing it for me. I think if you are going to buy a home and let's say eight years or 10 years, I think um, an index fund that you then adjust as you get closer to needing it. Um, maybe you, you know, get a portfolio together where you're like 50% stocks, 50% cash. And then, you know, but you can go on a lot of these platforms and open up a brokerage account and they'll say, what do you need this money for? Is it for like the next five years? Is it for your retirement? And given your timeline, they will risk adjust this portfolio and then continue to adjust it the closer you get to needing this money. So I guess um, something that I didn't tell Liz here for Kristen is if you really do want to invest it and you have more risk tolerance, um, doing some research on these platforms, again, they're all like virtually the same, many of them, but Mm -hmm. they just sort of have a different personality, a lot of them, that you can present a profile to them. Like I'm a short-term saver more likely not really an investor what you know and they might um, still give you access or exposure to stocks but not heavily and will also monitor the portfolio and adjust it to make sure that you know you don't overexpose yourself especially in that final year of needing the money that's what i would say to my friend Kristen. any other parting thoughts for someone who grew up below the poverty line with no financial literacy, I think like she's doing a really great job of just kind of educating herself and taking this into her own hands. So the fact that she's even writing in and listening uh, means that she's trying to change, you know, from where she came. So I think that's uh, I think that's pretty fantastic. Props to her for that. So, um, but yeah, I would I would agree with you. And I, I don't know where you fall, Farnoosh, these days, but um, with the emergency funds. But you know, I would. I'm assuming that extra fourteen thousand then between what she has and what she plans on investing, um, I hope that's enough to you know cover yes. anywhere between six and twelve months of emergency savings. Thanks for pointing that out. I did think of that in a moment as I was reading the question. I forgot to go back to it, but you know, fifty four thousand is a lot of money, but it all depends, right, on your circumstance. Is that going to be what you need for the next six to nine months in case you lose your job or in case you decide to quit your job because you can't take it anymore and you need time to figure out your next steps, which is totally fine. But having that cushion is going to give you optionality. Um, In other words, the option to do what you want as opposed to like being forcing yourself to make hard or bad decisions. And $54,000, if you spread it out over a year, what, that's like five grand a month? Um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to guess that's plenty. I don't know. Again, I don't know what your obligations are, but it sounds like she's has had this inheritance that's helped her pay down debt. So she doesn't have like a lot of debt payment. So I guess the homework for you, Kristen, is to understand... Of this, of this cash that you have, how much of it do you absolutely need to pay for bare bones expenses for at least six months in case you have no other income? And then the rest you could choose to invest in a conservative way or just save. If you really want to buy a house more so- sooner than later, I would not really gamble it in the market at that point no. because um, any, it's anyone's guess. I'm hopeful. Are you hopeful? By the way, we're recording this on Inauguration Day, Philip. Um, tell mm-hmm. me all the feels you're feeling. 
Oh, goodness. Well, um, as a social worker, it's probably it's not a surprise to, to most just part of our code of ethics, uh, just what I stand for. So I'm, I'm very happy, very hopeful. Um, I was mm-hmm. a lot more um, emotional this morning than I expected to be. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy and hopeful. I'm with you. And we still have a big mess ahead of us, but it is nice and refreshing to have a leader who leads with empathy and mm-hmm. respect and a respect mm-hmm. for the role and the country. And look, uh, I'm sure many people listening didn't vote for him, but I think um, words matter. I think we can all agree that words matter. Yes. And I'll just leave it at that. Uh, so very hopeful, but you know, cautiously optimistic. We've got a lot of work ahead. My nanny actually just got vaccinated. So we're happy for her. And oh, nice. um, it's yeah on inauguration day too. So yeah. it's, it's been a special day in our family as well. All right, Philip, thank Good. you so much. And everybody check out Philip at Philip Barker, LCSW.com licensed clinical mm-hmm. social worker. So good to have you in the field. Um, and I know you're just doing such great work and we're so happy to have you in the audience. Thanks for reaching out Thanks. and being such a great, yeah. a great co-host. Thanks. It was an honor to be here. I really had a lot of fun. Will you come back? Absolutely. Anytime. All right. Fantastic. Okay. Officially happy new year, everyone. This is the, <laughs> this is day one of the new year. It's here. Make it a good one. Nice.